like notes through the hourglass. These are the songs of our lives. Welcome to another edition of Songs of Our Lives. I am Brad Rose. I'm a musician, a composer, a writer, somebody who thinks about sound an unhealthy amount. And each week I invite on a guest who is, I don't know, someone, sometimes I know him, sometimes I don't. Someone, it's always somebody I respect and find interesting. Sometimes they're a musician, sometimes they're not. And, um, yeah, we talk about their lives and songs that have sort of come with them along the journey. I guess that's one way to look at it. Um, this week I am really, really excited to welcome Robert Aki Aubrey Lowe, who, um, legitimately responsible for so many of my favorite records over the last few years. His latest is the Grasshopper Republic soundtrack which like, you know, one of the things I love about his, his soundtrack and scoring work is that it, it makes sense within the context of whatever it is. So like this is uh, grasshopper Republic is a documentary made by Daniel McCabe. That is about basically uh, I believe it's in Uganda and how they, there's these grasshoppers that are a delicacy and it's about trapping and capturing them. And it, I haven't seen it yet. I've watched the trailer and it looks so fascinating and I really hope I can see it soon. I haven't figured out anywhere to actually see it yet. Um, but then, you know, he did the Candyman remake the soundtrack for that. He also did music for the HBO series telemarketers, which I wasn't even aware of that until we had this conversation and have since listened to and reviewed that album. And it's wonderful. It's, um, it, where I was going with all this is the thing I love about his, his soundtrack work is that it, when you see it in the films or in the series, which again, I haven't seen the grasshopper one, but it always makes sense in that context. But then if you just completely remove it and just listen to it as an album, it just sounds like a really awesome Robert Aki Aubrey Lowe album. And so that's just kind of a win win. Um, so I was really excited to get to do this. I, I got to mention, um, he and I have a number of connections. Like this is the first time we've really talked in depth. Um, uh, but one of them is that we both did records on the late great type recordings label and his, which I'm going to probably pronounce wrong. And I apologize. Timon Irnok Monta. That's my guess. Um, legitimately is probably my favorite thing that type ever put out which is really saying something if you know the label, because it's one of the best labels of the last like 30 years. Um, but it is a phenomenal album. And so, yeah, I just, I love, I love type obviously, but I, for something to reach the mountaintop of type for me is something special. So anyway, I'll link that in the show notes, but anyway, we recorded this over zoom a couple weeks ago and it was as it always is, it was such a good time, so I hope you all enjoy it.
My guest today is a musician, composer, a film scorer. I don't know if that's really a word. Um, and an artist who has genu genuinely made a number of my favorite records in the last 20 years. It is Robert Aki Opry Lowe. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> How's it going? Um, it's going. So I have a story. I, I think that we've met. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, and it's. And I, I'm what I'm gonna we're gonna see if the details are right, and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that probably was this. Um, <laughs> so 2008 or nine. So there was I, I don't know. I did two tours in it was like 2008, nine, ten, somewhere around there. Two different bands played in Chicago twice. Both times played at Enemy, which I believe was upstairs from. Was it called Heaven? Yeah, Heaven Gallery. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And so there was one show where I don't, and I don't remember which one it was, but there, there was a show going on at heaven gallery, like the same night. And it was this like, and so I think we met and talked very briefly. And I just remember the thing that sticks out to me is I remembered thinking, you know, cause I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in 2008, there was nothing going on here. And I just remember thinking, wow, this one building has these two, like awesome venues, like things going on and one, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. So anyway. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. No, it was, and especially Chicago through, I mean, Chicago throughout the nineties and early two thousands, like the, through the odds. Yeah. Had a lot going on <clears throat> musically. Um, yes. It was a so, little it, more adventurous than most places. Yeah, it was. I every time we went, I just yeah, I loved I loved playing there. And Enemy was a fun space, although loading in was the worst experience. Yeah, imaginable. The like, third <laughs> third floor, uh, you know. Yeah. No, no elevator. It, yeah, and not and and not like short floors. You know, like no. tall. <laughs> <laughs> It was rough. So, and I don't remember if that was the year, because there was one year too that, so a old sort of mutual, for, I'm sure we know a lot of the same people, but um, one of those times, John Twells mm -hmm. from Type Records. So John and I, we've known each other forever and um, just one of my favorite people in the world. But John met us in Chicago to hang out. And I don't know if it was one of, the, if it was the same show where that happened, but. I know you is it was a few years later than that, of course, you put out your record on type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at that point, so. I was I was living in New York. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I feel like, yeah, 2008, 2009, or at some point, because I moved in 2009 to New York from Chicago. Okay, so it must have been 2008 yeah. when that mm -hmm. show. That, anyway. That's, yeah. So stroll down memory lane anyway <laughs> um and in in more recent years though uh, so among the various things that you've been doing you've been doing a lot more like score and soundtrack work mm -hmm. and i'm kind of i'm kind of curious like what your first experiences were like with working with film and doing scores well let's see um the first thing experience i had was uh i mean it wasn't it was just licensed music um mm. right around the time i had released my first solo record uh, with the lichens moniker uh on cranky records and there was um 
a young filmmaker that had made a short film that was a part of the AFI program, the American Film Institute program that asked if, if uh, he could license a piece of music. Mm. Um, and I do think that the work that I've made historically, specifically solo work has lent itself to a cinematic space. Um, so there were a couple instances where, uh, my work had been licensed for short films, um, nothing yeah. big. And then in 2010, 2000, like shortly after I moved to New York, uh, I was approached by a good friend of mine, Kevin Parker, who was making his first, uh, narrative feature called last kind words which is sort of a gothic ghost story that takes place in kentucky and he had asked me if i would, would do the score and so i had no real experience actually scoring a film and didn't have uh really the equipment to do so so it was very ramshackle um and i was able to get it done um and it was also about problem solving in that space and troubleshooting and figuring out how right. um oh i don't have any particularly specific bowed string instruments so i took a bow to an acoustic steel string guitar for certain things or used mm -hmm. that uh acoustic guitar as a percussion source you know things like that i was sort right. of problem problem solving in, in the moment um which I think made for, you know, an interesting sonic yeah. uh, approach. Um, <clears throat> then after that, um, the only thing I, well, then over the next few years, I ended up collaborating uh, um, with other composers on scores that they were making for other films, specifically Johan Johansson. Um, mm -hmm. and that was, that was, uh, that was, a, it was good for me to experience working in that way because I got a larger, uh, more specific understanding of how potentially I could make work in that space. Um, and also working with Johan at that time was really lovely. We were mutual fans of each other's work and had been friends for a while. And uh, he truly was uh, coming to me for my expertise in the, the things that I did and allowing mm -hmm. me the space to create those things within the context of the score that he was making. So it was a really a collaboration, yeah. it was really lovely. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And so between the four films that we worked on together, uh, that was a really nice experience. Um, and then after, uh, after that, um, I was approached by an Italian filmmaker to score his film, uh, Il Copa del Cane, which uh, I worked on from 2018 into 2019, um, which was also a really nice experience. I had worked on recording things at home 
and then took a majority of that work with me to Rome and then worked in Rome for two weeks in a studio with an engineer. And it was just the two of us. And I was, at that point I was scoring the picture. So I would say about 40% of the material in that score was done ahead of time. And then maybe 60% of it was done uh, on site uh, wow. in a recording studio near uh, Chinichita in Rome. Wow. So that, um, that's, that's kind of where that, that, that arc, which <laughs> leads into where we are now, which actually at the time I was in Rome working on that score, I received an email from Monkey Paw. This is February of 2019 asking me if I would potentially be interested or have the availability to um, have a conversation about uh, doing a score for a film, a horror film that they were currently working on which was Candyman. Right. That's, wow. That's amazing. Um, well, can you tell me about the newest one? So Grasshopper Republic. I've, I haven't seen the film. I've listened to the the soundtrack, the score, a number of times. Um, how'd you get involved with that one? Um, Grasshopper Republic, uh, the filmmaker Daniel McCabe reached out to me, uh, honestly, via social media and asked if I might be interested in potentially doing a score for this film that he was working on, this documentary called Grasshopper Republic. Or it, it, at the time, it was called Nisenne, which is is Ugandan for Grasshopper. Um, uh, and sent me a three-minute sizzle in, the, mm. in the, the DM. And I wrote him back. I, at the time, I was in, in the process of of uh doing a couple other scores um but i said yeah let me let me take a look at it i'll get back to you uh as soon as i can and i think it took me a few days maybe even as long as a week and then i sat down and watched this three minute sizzle reel that he sent and was so floored by the visual um the 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 work I just it was just stunning and mm-hmm. really exciting and and made me very interested to speak to him more about yeah. the film what it was um how it came to be uh and so yeah that conversation started um and yeah it was it was it was sort of a once we had a real conversation about it it was sort of a no brainer um that I would want to collaborate with him uh, on making the score for this film. Yeah, I can't wait to see. I I actually I, I read an article about just the the grat like the what the documentary is about. Like it wasn't specifically about the documentary, but it was. I think it was like even like a National Geographic article or something. And yeah. I don't know. And then when I I got an email about this about the about your score, I was like, oh wow! Like this, um, I'm really curious to see the documentary just because I found like the article was so interesting and just mm-hmm. what it's about. And so, um, and I'm really having listened to the, it's an, always an interesting experience as a listener or as like to hear. So I've heard the sound, I've heard your score. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it a couple of times to then, and I, you know, to then see the film later, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, just how it all fits together. And, sure. Of course. You know, <laughs> and so, um, well, that's cool. Well, 
I'm I, I'm really excited to see what all you have coming next. And you know, obviously, this is the newest thing, but yeah. I'm sure you've got a, tons of irons in the fire. So <laughs> I have a couple things going on, and also I just uh, um, finished the uh, work on uh, this docu series for HBO called Telemarketers. Oh, cool! Which is uh, um. <clears throat> That was also a really fantastic experience to be able to work on that one. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I clearly have a bias, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a really well done series, three part, hour long. Um, okay. Uh, I need to. Experience. I've been wanting to. Um, a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, Black Horse Low, has a new, he has a new series on i think it maybe just premiered last week on hbo it's like navajo pd oh um, yeah i mean i i know um black horse uh uh the the episodes of uh reservation dogs that yeah did um, yeah that's he, exciting i know that yeah so i'm i've been wanting like i don't have an i i was i was telling my partner i was like okay once more more of these episodes are out we need to do like the free trial and <laughs> watch all of them. And, then, <laughs> and so I'm going to add this to the list to do, cause Excellent. I'm really curious about it. That's cool. Um, well, awesome. Well, I guess let's get into the meat of this here. Yeah. Um, and talk about some, talk about some songs and stuff. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so to start, what is the first song you remember? So the first song I remember is, my father had a cassette of great performances, which was, you know, like a classical music series. And uh, he had uh, Gustav Holtz's uh, The Planets. And yeah. the, the one thing, the first thing I remember, like very, very distinctly, was Mars um, from mm -hmm. Holtz's The Planet. And I think that probably had to do <clears throat> um, with the relationship that I had to, at the time, I was young. I was very young. Um, uh, Star Wars. Ah. Because of the relationship between John Williams' yeah. uh, theme for the Empire and Mars, yeah. like, there's there's quite a correlation. Like, they there's... Like if you, that's exactly where my brain goes. Yes. Yeah. And I think <laughs> due to that fact, that's something that I really attached myself to. Like, sure. I remember so the Williams score, but I think due to the, the, the nuance and the power of that particular performance on that cassette of Mars really drew me in. And I, I thought, what is, what, yeah. what, where, <laughs> like, where is this? what you know i it was something that that uh re was really effective yeah no that makes so yeah the the star wars connection i i think i'd sort of subconsciously made that and then as soon as you said that i was like oh my god that's what it is that's where yeah my brain it, kept going it, it really and, it really is <laughs> but that's such a like i think that's such an interesting thing too for you know when you're young like those are the kind of things that like being able to make those connections from something like Star Wars to something to something like this, I think it just makes that the thing like Mars or whatever it is 
makes such a stronger impression and makes you like to me it like draws you to it yeah and i think those are really cool things so so um, yeah that's yeah I, that, that's where that that's where that comes from that's that's the oh. the first thing that, that that comes to mind when i think about the, what an early memory gosh <laughs> It's yeah, like and such I, an epic piece of music. Yeah, and I think I was probably, I don't know, I was probably six or seven years old, maybe. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. I saw I, one time, I don't know how old I was. I must have been teens, maybe. I saw a thing at a planetarium that was mm. the planet with the the planets, and it was, it was awesome. It was so cool. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I love planetariums. I know. I'm. I have. I feel like I don't know when the last time was that one, but I, my daughter is ten, and I don't think we've ever taken her to one. And I'm like, okay, that's something we need to do. Yeah, should get on that. That's just a cool. Experience. It's a great experience. Um, okay. Well, on a kind of different tangent, what is a song that that'll usually make you cry? So I thought about this one a lot. Um, I think that there are. Uh, I, you know, I would, I would say that there are probably a couple, um, the one that I went to specifically was, uh, Mesmerism by Dead Can Dance. And that's due to a, like a very specific experience that I had, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Dead Can Dance and had never seen them. And I was doing, I was doing a performance at this festival called Primavera Sound in uh porto portugal and they were performing and i just remember watching them for the first time and this was probably 2011 i think it was 2011 and i just mm -hmm. remember standing on a hillside above where the staging was which it was quite a large stage but i was standing on the 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 hill side with my friend david and we were both standing there watching dead can dance and it was it was just sort of an emotional moment like i, I felt my mm -hmm. felt you know tears almost welling up i did not i did not cry but i think that right it it put me in this space um where uh that was that was something for me uh that you know, when I think about that and when I listen to, you know, that tune in particular, that's a, a one example. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I would say between that and uh, the Yusef Islam or Cat Stevens, as he used to be called, but Yusef Islam, um, the main theme to Harold and Maude is actually oh, wow, another yes. one that, and I think seeing that film at the time that I did and having this real love of Hal Ashby's work, um, uh, it was, it, it was, you know, it was, it was a very emotional, uh, film for me. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the actually, you know what? So I'll, I'll say this. I think that there are several songs in this list uh, mm -hmm. that I would 
I would say could be like sort of flip. Right. I'm actually going to wait to bring up the the Yusef Islam. Let's let's okay. continue on and and I'll I'll get okay. back to that because I think that I think that it could work here, but I think it could work elsewhere within the yeah uh, the yeah. Okay. Now that um yeah, I think that's I, I've had experiences like that where I just being it's like a live performance of like someone I maybe never thought I would get to see or something. And there is just a point where like you described this emotion just comes over you sometimes kind of out of nowhere where you're just kind of in the moment. It's like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going to just <laughs> start. Like I'm just going to kind of lose it here. And yeah, it's beautiful and kind of wonderful. And um, yeah, that's like, I, yeah, I, yeah. <clears throat> mesmerism i i just really like that song i love the vocals on that song that's one of the things that yeah it was just oh, so good so good um well kind of on the opposite side of that what's the song that always puts you in a better mood a song that always puts me in a better mood is uh the song that i heard and it was from uh a uh an african music series on uh, um, the late 50s um there were recordings um field recordings by Hugh Tracy who was an ethnomusicologist who spent most of his time uh exploring the the music and sound of Africa you know similarly to how Lomax um Alan Lomax was doing in the U.S. but Hugh Tracy was in this village um in Kenya and uh, the uh, Kipsigi tribe, um, he recorded a song called Chimirocha, which the, the young villagers had made after hearing uh, a 78 recording of Jimmy Rogers. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So Chimirocha, uh, apparently, I, I don't know exactly uh, how it happened, but I, I'm pretty sure missionaries had gone to this particular village um a few years before and had brought uh well like a victrola of some kind and had a jimmy rogers record which they played for the young people of the tribe and they um were having a debate amongst themselves about who this this person was you know and you know, was he a half man, half Ibex? Was he, you know, and so basically, you know, never hearing uh, an American yodeler, um, they wrote this song to invite Jimmy Rocha, Jimmy wow. Rogers, to come and sing and dance with them. And it's a beautiful piece of music. Um, there's, there's something that's ecstatic and really pure about it. And, uh, no matter what, I think that one is one that would put me in a yeah. Yeah, I I hadn't heard this. I I know I've heard a number of like the Hugh Tra like Hugh Tracy things, but I hadn't heard this particular compilation, which I want to go listen to the whole thing. But yeah, I felt like there was this really yeah, it's like this quiet ecstasy and this like really gentle kind of power to it that cool. it's it was like soothing, but also really just kind of get your blood flowing. And it's, uh, I loved it so much. I was so glad to hear it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an, it's an excellent, 
piece of music. Um, it's so good. It's so amazing. Um, and I love the Jimmy Rogers connection. That's incredible. I yeah. had no idea what, what a story. Yeah. It's pretty great. And then when like hearing you like saying the name of the title out loud, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You, it's, ah, it's the best. I love it. Um, that's the best thing about for me doing this show is I get to learn about and hear about so much music that I've missed or didn't know about. And it just, it makes my day like every time. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's great. Um, well, what is objectively the best song of all time? Objectively. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, this is, they're all tough questions. I think this is probably one of the tougher questions because yeah. you know i don't know that uh, there's will ever be an answer for that of course question <laughs> for me but i would say soup to nuts the song or the piece of music that i have played for more people i think than any other would be ghosts by japan um yeah something that means a lot to me i think it's it's sort of in a way a perfect song um <clears throat> i'm a huge fan of david sylvian i mean the, like japan in and of itself like nick karn's bass playing like everything about that group um i was a huge fan of but and i think it was honestly years ago seeing footage of japan doing a version of this song on the old gray whistle tests with Ryuichi oh, wow. Sakamoto um, playing the second Prophet Five on stage with them, I think that's that. Seeing that footage is what put it over the top for me. But then I, I constantly will go back, back and back to that piece of music. Um, it's yeah, it's an awesome, awesome song. Oh, yeah, I feel like this song has just blown my mind for years and years and. <laughs> I and in some way like there's something kind of inexplicable about it to me in the way that I don't know how they make it work the way that it works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like you could take it's almost like there's two separate songs happening and they Absolutely. put it together and <laughs> um it's, yes, there's something about how time is stretched within that that definitive period yeah. of linear time. Um yeah it just it just moves and shifts in so many different ways and there are percussive elements that are not overbearing or you don't like really find yourself latched on to any sort of a beat but there uh is that element there there's all of the sort of ethereal movement of synthesizers and it, you know, not necessarily grabbing onto the idea of a pad or a chord. Uh, you know, it's just right. everything is floating. And I think yeah. ultimately, like everything about like every aspect of that song works. And it's such an apt title, clearly. Um, yeah, right. For what it is. Yeah, no, I, I love this. I think that's such a good explanation of it, too. But I... This is I've had similar experiences where I've played this for people who hadn't heard it and every people it's yeah it people don't know what to think but in like a good way it's like I don't I don't understand this but it's yeah. 
And I think but that's a sign of something great. <laughs> I think I think also you'll find, you know, in the 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 things that I highlight in this list, um, mm-hmm. it all, always comes back to this idea of the ecstatic. Um, no mm-hmm. matter what it is, like I find I find this sort of ecstatic nature of the 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 material in all of these things. Yeah. That makes, I mean, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, to kind of turn the turn this around completely, and <laughs> what's yeah. a song that you used to love, but but now you find it pretty cringeworthy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would have to be remixed to Ignition uh, by R. Kelly. Yeah, because I used to. Yeah, that was for me. That was a banger, and it was especially oh my god, living in Chicago <laughs> for as long as I did. Um, that was, I mean, <laughs> right. This this sort of, uh, it's funny thinking about this, this term now with where we are in 2023, Mm -hmm. but, uh, how he was sort of considered the Pied Piper. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which was something that was thrown around a lot and yeah, it's, I can't. I can't get yeah. anywhere near it anymore. Like I've, I've extinguished like any, any bit of his catalog from my life. But yeah. I would definitely say that's one that sat very totally. highly for me for a very long time until yes. like it all became very yeah painfully yeah, obvious. <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah, we're good. I'm I'm good. We're done. No thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there was probably a period in my life where I would tell you this was like the best pop song ever or something, yeah. but I can't. And and I always think it's an interesting and this is a, a I, I do another podcast about the punk band Rancid. And it's <laughs> a long story. So I won't get into but one of the things that we talk about all the time is you know, like there are there are things like this where it's like there are things that you loved at some point and then at some point like maybe the people who made them are objectively terrible or something you know right. yeah of course and it's like what is what is the line what is, and it's you know and it's one of those things where i mean because there's you know there's stuff that i listen to now and love and i'm guessing that the you know that the people who make it aren't the best people in the world but but there's a there's a line in there obviously like r kelly is so far over that <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's but i always think that's an interesting like it's something i think about a lot especially because like rancid there are these there's a lot of questionable things there and but it was yeah. like this very formative thing in my youth was like west coast punk and especially those guys and i yeah so but the remake yeah ignit yeah, yeah. <laughs> ignition no no thanks yeah too bad <laughs> well let's not talk about r kelly anymore and um <laughs> Let's let's turn it around. Though. Let's talk about a song that that a lot of people, whoever the you know, most people, however you want to create this context for this, but a song that people hate, but you love it. Okay, so to give some context to this one, um, I became a fan of Yoko Ono's work when I was probably like nineteen or twenty years old. Um, mm-hmm. The first time I heard the album Fly. I was like, what is this magic? And I became completely ensorcelled 
by this track mind train and it's it's talk about like a banger like it's it oh my God. just it it trucks and i mean it does give you the experience of you know a train like it's just moving yeah. and it goes for a long time and i think at the time that i became really interested in yoko ona's work not only the sonic work but also just her work as a flexus artist i became very engaged mm -hmm. with her practice uh, um before you know before john lennon and then after um and there weren't a lot of people at the time that would come along with me on that ride you know i think uh mm -hmm. i think at this stage i think th there are a lot more people i think she's more widely appreciated right for the work that she's done historically but you know early on i was like all in like anything yeah. i could find i was super excited about and i felt like this was uh an artist that it took other people a little longer to, mm -hmm. to catch the vibe but yeah i would i mean i would when i would dj sometimes when i was around that age i would put that on and just let it jam and oh man you know and i was like i just had the confidence to do it because i loved it so much and it was uh yeah it's such a jam it's such a cut oh my god and uh yeah i think more people get it now but i think at the time um the circles at least that i found myself mm -hmm. in uh, people did not appreciate uh, the magic that is Yoko Ono. Yeah, I love this answer because I, I had a pretty similar experience. I think I was, it was probably like in my early 20s when I really kind of fell in love with her work. And it was a similar experience that mo most of the people I knew, it's, they weren't there. And it was just yeah. like, you'd kind of be like, but I think this is, I mean, I think she's like one of the greatest vocalists ever. The way she contorts yeah. her voice on this oh, piece man. and just, oh my I don't, it does, yeah. I don't even know. I, it's one of those things kind of like we we're talking about with Japan. It's like, I don't know how this is possible. <laughs> right. And I, um, I think honestly, you know, uh, I definitely say Yoko Ono as uh, an early influence on me as far as vocal work is concerned, mm, you know, mm -hmm. between, you know, uh, especially for um, Yoko Ono, Diamante Galas, Robert Wyatt are all real heavy hitters for me uh, as far as... Uh, how they use their voices in that space and the talking within the, the yeah. context of you know popular western music specifically popular western right music, right uh american and you know english and british music um but yeah she was very much and i i feel like you can hear that in my work even before mm -hmm. i was i was more concentrated on solo work when i was playing in in uh bands and you know, not only lyrical content, but also the ways in which I was exploring how I could use my body and my voice to create these sounds and use it, utilize it as more of an instrument as in, yeah. as opposed to, even though I was using it as a, a vehicle for language, but being able to find my way into that where the, the movement and the gesture uh, of mm -hmm. the sound was just as important as the lyrical content. Yeah, I've, that was 
this there's this physicality to her the like the way she sings and uses her voice that i yeah i think that it's so much more than just the voice like you were saying and i think that's that's really interesting i can hearing you say that and it's like yeah i can see that that makes sense like with your work that's really cool um she's amazing i love you oh yeah (laughs) so so incredible um what is the most romantic song so my answer to this was uh sweetest taboo by a shot which i do feel and once again like leaning into this idea of the ecstatic i think that you find that Mm -hmm. within this but I mean, there are others, songs, and I'll now on to the Yusef Islam. Um, mm. I think that Trouble could also be considered a very romantic song due to the nature of how it was used within the context of Hal Ashby's Herald and Maud. Um, so yeah, yeah, there are definitely, I can find different pathways for different songs yeah. and, and the they're sort of this multi-layered um, uh, sort of experience that you can have with a piece of music. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I think Shade is absolutely incredible, amazing. And yeah, you, you feel it. You just, I don't even mm-hmm. know what else to say about it, but um, she's an artist that, you know, hands down, like, like give it up oh. like right. super incredible oh. the work that, that that she's done period and yeah. this this there's a definitely a romance um right and not you know not not a not a syrupy sugary one but something that is you know is once again like very complex and and much deeper yeah there's a real gravity to it um yeah I think it's amazing to me that so I think this is the tenth one of these that I've recorded, and it's taken ten episodes for someone to say Shade on this answer because every time I'm like, "Wow, I know," because that's like the first one of the first places my brain goes is yeah. (laughs) Um, I I really like the the Yusuf Islam answer too. I think that's a really because yeah, in the context of Harold and Maude, that is such a good yeah shout out. I mean, I think it is, it is very romantic and it's very sad. So yeah, it's, it's, there's something that's melancholy, uh, about God, I'm getting choked up about it already. Um, there's something that's very (laughs) melancholy about it, but also something that's very deeply warming and, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just loving about that song. Yeah. Yeah. I love both of those. I'm a, I'm, they both count. I don't know what that means, (laughs) but um well what is a what's a song that changed your perspective on an artist so um i was familiar with the group talk talk sort of as a pop group um sort of you know very active and poppy and then when i started to hear uh the later material like laughing stock um once again finding this complexity in the the work that that they've done you know throughout the course of the career of talk talk then especially after the fact um mark hollis's solo record like mark mm-hmm. hollis is up there for me like with with david sylvian um you know and 
Yoko Ono and Robert Wyatt as um like such an incredible voice. Like there's something about how he imparts this, you know, this storytelling, everything about Hollis and Mark Hollis and, and, you know, and I started once I, once I listened to new grass and Taphead and everything on that record, I went back and started to listen to things that were a little earlier and also the color of spring. Like that's, that's when it like, takes off for me and i <laughs> i love talk talk across the board i think that um all the work that talk talk did was great and i find it very mm-hmm. enjoyable but i think particularly when i heard new grass that song there was something that was uh it was uh just i don't know so rich <clears throat> yeah I, it I because so I make notes on all of these things so I have something to talk about but like I mean I love I'm I love talk talk and talking about the complexity of this song I to me there's and I feel like this is like a recurring theme but these like things that there's these sort of like this dichotomy of it's like it's so sort of fragile and delicate but it's mm-hmm. so heavy at the same time absolutely and yeah yeah there's I think a- that's such a it's a special thing like to tap into that and especially and it, the way he does it on this song. Oh my gosh. It's just yeah. so like beautiful and moving and overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. That That's, 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 it's something very real. Yeah. Um, well, what are, what are your favorite lyrics, whether it's a whole song, a line from a song? I had a, I had a couple for this one, <laughs> um, but the one that, that sort of, reign supreme is eternally yours by the eternals which is a group yeah. uh, comprised of damon lox uh, and white montana <laughs> who were yeah. also in the group trench mouth with fred armison uh, and krista zuter um this was early on in the uh in the creation of the eternals they they wrote this song and every time i would hear them perform this live and this is you know probably 1998 1999 in Chicago, and I saw them as often as I could because it was it was just such an incredible thing to experience this group. But the the I mean every every word in this song is really amazing. But the final the final passage when the smoke clears and the noise dies down on the final day, invaders will be done. And when that day arrives, I'll wear my finest threads. I'll comb the hair on my head. Remember the things you said. Beware of snipers who do not carry guns with poison gas in their lungs. They speak of assassination when the smoke clears. It's heavy as fuck. (laughs) Fucking incredible. It's ultra poetic and incredibly pointed. Everything about it. Damon's delivery of the, the lyrics. Also, the the musical content of the the, the song, like everything about it, um, is something that for me has always stuck with me, and I'm so yeah. glad I got to experience in a live setting so many times. No, um, no. every every time it would hit me that much harder. Um, right. So yeah, oh, I it's I've, and it's a song, when I was listening to it over the weekend. I was like, God, oh, this is 
I mean, this song is, yeah, it's what, 20 something years old now at this yeah. point. Mm -hmm. It's just as prescient today, is it? It's, it's <laughs> extraordinarily prescient in, in this moment in time, actually. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that for me is the, is the, the pinnacle. But then also I was thinking a lot about the, the, the lyrical work of Dan, Daniel Higgs, uh, in, yeah. in Lungfish and how uh, that also was very formative for me. But on Lungfish's last record, Feral Hymns, there's a song called Way Out is the Way Out. And there's a particular line on that song, uh, which he says, adrift in the bowels of the Lord. And that just that line is such like it really, mm -hmm. it hits. Um, but, you know, I, I'm this one I'm giving to the Eternals uh yeah but it's, it's always a, never a bad thing to shout out dan higgs and i love dan higgs and lo yeah. i was saying this to somebody over the weekend i was i was having a moment because listening to this it just kind of sent me down a lungfish rabbit hole and it was i think it was yesterday it's like i'm having a lungfish is the greatest band of all time moment yeah it, it's <laughs> that's the real you thing you can make that art they're, oh gosh it's a yeah. real thing yeah daniel higgs is amazing but yeah Dan uh, and yeah damon locks yeah. Uh, there was, and I've, I've, I had I've a known, conversation. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, oh, I was no, just no, going to say, I've <laughs> known both of them the same amount of time. I befriended oh, wow. both of them when I was 17 years old. So at this point in time, I have known both Daniel and Damon for 31 years. That wow. A long time. <laughs> And stay and stay in close contact with both. I just recently saw both of them. That's and both are still like doing so much great stuff. I yeah, mean, that's, absolutely. That's, I was I was having a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago, and they were like, "Who are you know some of like great contemporary lyricists?" And Damon was Damon Locks was one of the first people that came to mind. I was like, "Yeah, dude." <laughs> so I was really excited to see this on here because, uh, yeah, that amazing song and that yeah that last verse or uh, yeah he's gives me chills like yeah. just thinking about it okay so now we're going to get into this section where you picked two of the questions from the other ones uh -huh. um and so the next question is what song have you or can you listen to the most there's a song by kilan phil koran and uh phil koran was his multi-instrumentalist from chicago um who made beautiful, incredible music. Um, and uh, there was a piece of music called Theme, African Skies. And it's just such a lovely, uplifting mm -hmm. work. Um, yeah, over and over again, I could listen to that. I would never tire of it. I mean, there are, there are a lot of songs out there that sure. I feel um, carry a similar weight. But I would definitely say that that's one for me that I can go back to. And he would he would actually he would perform every Friday night at um, Ethiopian Diamond, which was an Ethiopian restaurant um, in Chicago. Oh, wow. So you could sit and listen to him as you were having dinner, um, oh play kalimba or bira or uh, the harp. Like it's just really incredible, wow. incredible stuff um that's incredible. not talked wow. about enough oh my gosh Bill yeah. um um 
I'd never actually heard this. This and I was blown away. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It is it's incredible, right? Um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to explore more of this music because this piece was just. Whew. Um, do you remember when you first heard it? Was it just like being in Chicago and? I first heard it. Um, I bought a CDR off of him at a performance that he did where he had a collection of works and recordings over the years um, that he would sell as CDRs. And it was eventually um, properly issued uh, as an LP, on an LP, um, through a small Chicago label, um, probably around 2000, I don't know, probably around 2006, five or six, something around there. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't remember the name of the label, unfortunately, but um, I'm so happy to see that it, it exists in the world, continues to exist in the world. Like all of Phil Coran's stuff, the Heritage Ensemble, um, the Memorial for Malcolm X, like all of, all of this work is really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I knew I Memorial for Malcolm X. I knew that. I think I have a copy of that. Um, but this one was totally new yeah. and really, amazing. really great. So what was the what was the last song that you completely fell in love with? It's the last song I completely fell in love with. And this was during the pandemic, like during like the the uh, during a lockdown during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um Uh, my wife and I were taking to find things to watch and Steve McQueen, who is one of my favorite filmmakers had just made a series of films called small acts. And the second film in the series called lovers rock after mangrove, which was the first film, um, takes place at a, it's, uh, it's, a uh, it's a house party sound system. Mm. And it was interesting to be immersed in that space for the length of the film because, you know, we were in the process of of isolating from each other and wearing right. masks and, like, keeping a distance. And everyone in this film is so close together and everyone in the energy is, is so electric. But they... You know, they, 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 the, the, the DJs at the sound system made a point of playing Kunta Kente dub by the revolutionaries. And after the song plays through, everyone in the, in the party is just wants, wants it to go again. So they play it a second time and then they play it a third time. So hearing that song three times in a row in real time in this, mm -hmm. this sequence was really amazing and once again ecstatic really mm -hmm. incredible um and that's that's the last song that that i heard that just pushed pushed everything over the top it was amazing yeah yeah being able to experience it in that way song. oh yeah. my gosh that yeah i'm i'm I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen that film. I'm really curious about it, but it, it it's not going to hit the same way as it would have in no, the middle yeah. of lockdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was 
Yeah, so good. Yeah. Yeah, I love I really love this piece of music. It's uh God, it's just I especially love the um it's like that lead synth, but it kind of sounds like yeah. a flute. And yeah. It's so uh, good. That that melody is just it's like haunting and incredible. Okay. Oh, and it yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Okay, so now we're coming to the we're coming to the home stretch here and these are the two that we skipped earlier we're going to come back to. The two the two big ones if you will. Um <laughs> So what's the song that means the most to you? And it's not even necessarily because of the song itself, but you associate it with something or someone that's important to you, something along those lines. I would say that would have to be Alice Coltrane's journey in uh, Sachidananda. Um, and I think it's important to me just uh, just because of the, the weight of it, the spirit of it, something that I discovered, you know, early on, uh, when I was younger and something that has always stuck with me. I actually also thought about John Coltrane's A Love Supreme, but this for Mm -hmm. me was something that sort of carried it over even more. And I think my exploration of the ecstatic, I think this one just hits the nail on the head for me a little bit more. And, and yeah, it's something it's a piece of music that I will carry for me and, and our spirituality within that space and, and her energy and her being within that space, I think is something that, that I relate to, uh, mm-hmm. in, in this way that <clears throat> I can't get away from it. And I think, I think it's, I think it's infectious in that way. I think so many other people mm-hmm. also have that and carry that with themselves. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure like there's anybody's music like in the history of the world that sort of has moved me or affected me like uh-huh. as much as Alice Coltrane's I I and then like yeah I'm everything you're saying resonates very deeply with me it's yeah it's impossible for me to like if if I hear this it's impossible for me to not just kind of get taken to another place yeah and yeah. um I have often said like if I was stuck on an island and I could only listen to one artist for the rest of my life, it would probably be Alice Coltrane. Yeah. <laughs> like um and Pharaoh like on here shit, too. Of oh course. yeah. Yeah. Uh jeez. I mean this is like, you know, and it's two of these all time great, you know, amazing people at the height of their powers. Yeah. And just But also <sighs> speaking of John and Pharaoh, that probably leads us to the final question. Yes, which is, what is your favorite song? My favorite song is the Holy Ghost himself, Albert Eiler, Love Cry. <laughs> and I think also yeah. going back to this idea of vocalizations and, and finding space yeah. to explore things in different ways, the first time I heard Love Cry, it just put me in another space. And I think mm-hmm. with Eiler, Eiler is, is an artist that that... I respond to you on all levels at all times and like his body of work um, is so expansive for me and I love it so much. I love everything he did, it did uh, the way he talks about it in interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but Love Cry, like his, these sort of ecstatic, once again, these ecstatic vocalizations that mm-hmm. happen in that piece of music, like lift me up in a way that most other things can't and very few things can. Yeah. And I think 
you know, Eiler for me, you know, and the, and the famous quote is train was the father, Pharaoh was the son and I'm the Holy ghost. Mm. And I fucking fully believe yeah. it. Like Absolutely. dude operated on such an advanced level. Like no, mm-hmm. no one else can touch it. No one else can touch it. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's like what, 50 years on and still or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Un, yeah it's untouchable um and then i mean on the yeah and then milford yeah um, like uh-huh. i mean yeah th- those those two together i mean there there's this i don't know there's this connection there that yeah. the way they could seem to communicate through sound and oh. i mean it's it's overwhelming and also i mean <laughs> you know once again this one can go back to like several other questions like right. you know it can bring me to fucking tears this piece of music right it's oh man it's so incredible and so i would definitely put that up there it's 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 like yeah i yeah eiler is like no other yeah well that is a beautiful place to end um i really appreciate you doing this this was a whole lot of fun thanks um and so you've got so grasshopper republic is out um in rest up republic the, is out november 17th on invader records 17th. and uh the telemarketers score is out digitally on invader now and the physical oh, nice. release is, is coming like we're just waiting okay. for that one but yeah grasshopper republic telemarketers invader records check it out check it out all right thanks robert Thank i you appreciate so much. it of course Once again, a million billion thanks to Robert Akiabrilo. Uh, that was that was so much fun, God. So many, so many great picks. I, I I've been listening to the the playlist for his episode for the last couple of weeks, and I'm just, yeah, it's it's so good. Um, check out Grasshopper Republic at, when this airs. It will be out. It is on the Invada label, who also put out the Telemarketer soundtrack, which is also good. And go and spend some time on Robert's Bandcamp page. There is so much incredible music up there. Um, but those albums are up there. The type record I mentioned, a lot of stuff that this is the only place you can hear it, I think. Um, there's just some really great stuff. There's a really great collab with Alan Licht. Uh, yeah, and the the uh, the record he did with uh, Ariel Kalma. I mean, whew. it's the good stuff, guys. It's the good stuff. That is it for me, though. As always, check out the playlist of Robert's Picks. Link is in the show notes. Join us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash If you enjoy these episodes as much as I do, you get them a week early and you get extra bits for each episode. There's a whole Patreon section, and they're a lot of fun. Um, and there's also other stuff on the Patreon, and it keeps all this going and churning along. And also really hoping to amp up the Patreon a bit so that I can get someone to work with to help on the production end of these just to make everything better. And, you know, yeah. So that's all. Oh, you know, and you can holler at me on all over social media, send me an email, whatever, or not ignore me. That's cool too. Whatever you do, whatever you do, keep listening to whatever the hell you want.